Hello, everyone, and welcome to United We Stand. I'm your host, Jim Feeney, and this show airs every week with hopefully insightful commentary about the world around us and how we build a stronger, more sustainable America. You can also find my podcast at www.jimfeeney.com and subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and Buzzsprout. About a year ago, I joined an alumni advisory board for my fraternity at Syracuse University. Sigma Chi is the largest and most respected college Greek organization in the country. It was founded in 1855 at the University of Miami of Ohio by Benjamin Pyatt Runkle around the enduring principles of courage, wisdom, integrity, self-control, courtesy, and fidelity. As pledges, we were all taught by older brothers of the Jordan Standard, which we were required to memorize. The Jordan Standard represents the minimum requirements for all pledges and brothers to live by. The standard was declared by Isaac M. Jordan to be that of admitting no man to membership in Sigma Chi who is not believed to be a man of good character, a student of fair ability with ambitious purposes, a congenial disposition, possessed of good morals, having a high sense of honor and a deep sense of personal responsibility. It's hard to argue with those principles. So several of my 1983 Sigma Chi brothers and I felt the need to give back as active mentors and leaders to our undergraduate chapter of over 75 young men. These days, it's not hard to imagine some might view these principles as old-fashioned or, or worse, but we decided to dig in and help our younger brothers live up to these principles, demonstrating that by doing that, they join a pretty cool group of over 350,000 alumni whose ranks include Grover Cleveland, the 22nd and 24th President of the United States, Barry Goldwater, David Letterman, Brad Pitt, Woody Harrelson, John Wayne, and Drew Brees. Our alumni board also has told the undergrads stories like when my brother and friend John and I were hired at our first postgraduate job at J.P. Morgan on Wall Street. At the time, we'd like to think that we were smart and well-qualified, but it didn't hurt that one of our Syracuse alumni brothers who graduated a few years earlier than us was a rising star at the bank. John and I went from living at our 100-year-old chapter house in the spring of 1983 to living on 83rd Street in Columbus with a third older brother who also worked at the bank. Sigma Chi is a hell of a network to have in a very competitive world, but it was only available to brothers who strive to live by the Jordan Standard. Okay, Enough of me promoting my fraternity. That's not the point of this post. Rather, the point's about describing firsthand how our constitutionally guaranteed freedoms are under attack at our American colleges and universities. We weren't thinking along those lines when we formed the alumni board because our focus was to upgrade our pledging and initiation processes where quality had slipped a little bit over the years. Instead, after a few weeks in our alumni roles, the chapter received a notice of charges being filed for hazing the pledges by the university. Apparently, one of the pledges returned home from Long Island over the Thanksgiving break last year and played ice hockey with some friends and got a black eye in the process. When he returned to classes, one of his professors asked him about the black eye, to which he responded with the truth. Unfortunately, the professor didn't believe the student and thought he was covering up for a fraternity hazing incident and the professor reported this to the university judicial board. Now, I know what you're thinking. Fraternity? Sure. Haven't you seen the movie Animal House? 
Well, the vast majority of fraternities and sororities are not like that, including Sigma Chi. We conducted our own investigation before the university even started theirs, and it was rigorous. As alumni brothers, we weren't going to put our reputations on the line defending bad behavior by these undergrads. Not only did we find the account of the playing hockey completely truthful, with tons of supporting evidence, including airline tickets and corroboration from the the students' parents and uh, other people, but we investigated the entire pledge process, all the pledges, everything that they did during the process, which was halfway through at the time of the charges. We didn't find even a hint of hazing. Now, for a university that has a respected law school, you'd think the university judicial code would follow constitutional principles like due process. Well, think again. There's nothing resembling due process at Syracuse, or most university judicial systems for that matter. When a student and their parents sign their college contracts, they sign up for the university judicial process, which, among other things, includes things like, if you are accused, you must represent yourself and can't hire a lawyer. The best you can do is find a university employee who can act as an advisor during the trial, although that person can't speak at the trial. Another beauty is that although the accused can call witnesses, the judicial board can unilaterally decide not to allow the witnesses to participate. I could go on, but it's ridiculous, and I won't bore you with the details. Luckily, we were able to secure the help of a senior law professor who had a lot of experience representing fraternities and sororities, and he was even more appalled than we were about this blatant institutional hypocrisy. After a lot of hard work by the undergraduate brothers and the alumni team, we were able to show there was clearly no basis for these charges. Grudgingly, the University Judicial Board agreed to drop the penalties, which included expulsion of these three undergrad leaders from the university. However, this was conditioned on the undergraduate leadership team admitting wrongdoing and agreeing to probation and culture training. Imagine that, innocent but still guilty. As of this writing, we're considering suing the university for violation of the New York State statute, Article 78, to completely expunge the record of these innocent young men. So, the university clearly doesn't care about due process, only the result of their policy, which is decidedly anti-Greek. They're explicit about their animus towards fraternities and sororities, whose numbers have decreased by two-thirds since 1983 when we graduated. Strangely, most of these defunct Greek chapter houses have been raised, knocked down, with brand new university buildings in their place. And the Sigma Chi Chapter House, which is owned by our Alumni Association, sits on a prime piece of real estate. I wish the reason for lack of due process was solely due to Syracuse wanting our land, but it's really more about not tolerating any competition with official university culture. Joining a fraternity or sorority is a form of free speech and expressing your values. They're organizations that choose their own members who share those values. One of the great changes we observed as alumni is that our chapter was far more racially diverse than we were when we were the chapter house. In fact, Sigma Chi is the most diverse fraternity on the campus. But don't take my word about Syracuse University's intolerance of free speech. According to a survey published by the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE, F-I-R-E, Syracuse has been one of the nation's worst colleges for free speech since 2011. It ranks 51st in the 2020 college free speech rankings, 
which evaluates campus environments for free and open discussion of controversial issues. 61% of students surveyed said there had been times when they felt they could not express an opinion on a subject because of how other students, a professor, or the administration would respond. This reluctance to speak freely is even more pronounced among students who consider themselves conservative. According to the report, 83% of conservative students said they have self-censored. Syracuse University said in a response to the fire survey, Syracuse University said in a response to the fire survey that it it has to balance free expression with its obligations under state and federal law to maintain an environment devoid of discrimination or harassment aimed at certain protected groups. Now, that's a mouthful. Free speech controversies throughout the American educational establishment, including secondary schools, have little effect on most Americans. And yet they get a lot of attention because schools traditionally have been forums of open debate. College students once ferociously guarded their free speech rights. It started with the first great student protests, which erupted at the University of California, Berkeley in 1964, when a former student was arrested by the university for distributing civil rights leaflets. Free speech was viewed as so important and vital to our democracy then that over 4,000 students demonstrated on that Berkeley campus and 800 went to prison. To see how much things have changed, the University of California, Berkeley, erupted into near riots in 2017 during protests against conservative speaker Milo Yiannopoulos. In that same year, when political scientist Charles Murray spoke at Middlebury College in Vermont, protesters got so rowdy that a professor accompanying him was injured. Last year, the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, filed an amicus brief arguing that Arkansas State University couldn't restrict student speech to designated free expression areas. They said that such a policy significantly burdens all speech and is intolerable on a public campus. So if you go to the American Civil Liberties Union website and uh, you go to free speech in in schools, uh, you'll read this, and I quote, the First Amendment to the Constitution protects speech no matter how offensive its content. Restrictions on speech by public colleges and universities amount to government censorship in violation of the Constitution. Such restrictions deprive students of their right to invite speech they wish to hear, debate speech with which they disagree, and protest speech that they find bigoted or offensive. An open society depends on liberal education, and the whole enterprise of liberal education is founded on the principle of free speech. The ACLU goes on to say, how much we value the right of free speech is put to its severest test when the speaker is someone we disagree with most. Speech that deeply offends our morality or is hostile to our way of life warrants the same constitutional protection as other speech because the right of free speech is indivisible. When we grant the government the power to suppress controversial ideas, we are all subject to censorship by the state. Since its founding in 1920, the ACLU has fought for the free expression of all ideas, popular and unpopular. The ACL believes that more speech, not less, is the answer most consistent with our constitutional values. In a stark irony to illustrate the problem of speech suppression in our society, when I was searching Google using the search term 
free speech college campus debate to do some background research, this ACLU article that I just talked about was in the top 10 results. Google provides what they consider a representative excerpt from the article as users decide which results to drill into. Here's what they displayed for this ACLU piece that was in my search results. To quote, to be clear, the First Amendment does not protect behavior on campus that, followed by ellipsis, promotes a climate of robust and uninhibited dialogue and debate open to all. The article at the ACLU is rightfully supportive of free speech, and they I just read to you how they come down on the topic. But if you just read the excerpt in the search results, the part that says, to be clear, the First Amendment does not protect behavior on campus that someone might come away with the impression that the ACLU does not support free speech on campus. This is just a subtle but powerful way that big tech conspires to suppress ideas that its executives don't agree with. The 2020 political campaign was full of examples of how Twitter, Facebook, and Google shut down voices that were contrary to their beliefs, including from the president of the United States. Several weeks ago, I had my own experience with censorship on social media when Facebook prevented me from advertising a blog post entitled The Politics of COVID because they deemed it to be too controversial. For those of you who've been reading and listening to me for this past year, you'll know that I try to be pretty middle ground and support my opinions with research and facts. In my opinion, Facebook was trying to silence my voice because I was questioning the so-called experts on government COVID policy. I would think for an issue as hugely important to the global economy in a pandemic, we want all the voices and discussions we could have, not less. This could happen to my little blog. I imagine how often it occurs across Facebook's vast social network, where sadly 43% of Americans get their news, according to Pew Research. The United States has approximately 56.4 million kids attending K-12 schools in 2020, and another 19.7 million attending colleges and universities. That total represents more than 23% of our population being processed in our education bureaucracy, the vast majority of which is funded by government. If that bureaucracy is becoming less tolerant of free speech, how can we expect the adults that emerge from that system to be tolerant of free speech? It follows then, as time goes by, it will feel increasingly normal for those adults to become intolerant of speech they don't agree with, and that, in, and that intolerance will begin to permeate the workplace. Ironically, that's exactly what we're seeing now. Whether it's big tech censoring speech at digital scale or a company policy supporting speech it likes and harassing political speech it doesn't like, or a local shop owner posting uh, this is a Black-owned business sign on their storefront to hopefully ward off Black Lives Matter looters. The result is always the same, a less tolerant and diverse society. These examples show what happens when our eagerness to take offense meets an organization's innate desire to avoid trouble. If hearing a different opinion feels like a personal assault, then any potentially controversial statement is equivalent to shouting fire in a crowded theater. It's much easier for a business or a school to avoid trouble and potential liability by shutting down discussion altogether. And when people are silenced in real life, where else can they go to exercise their free speech but on the internet, where every grievance is welcomed and amplified? This vicious circle can't be broken by legislation, and the technology that set it in motion isn't going away either.
The challenge facing Americans today is primarily cultural. We have to relearn the role that speech plays in a diverse and free society. Declaring speech out of bounds in certain contexts, especially when it expresses views that are actually widely held, it glosses over the conflict without resolving it. When people are told they can't say what they think, rather than being presented with an argument for why what they think might be wrong, they may comply, but they won't change their minds. To overcome our current divide, Americans need to be confident enough to hear and express differences without succumbing to fear and rage, which history shows eventually ends up with violence. Free speech represents the possibility that society can change peacefully, that today's unpopular idea can become tomorrow's consensus. We urgently need to stop the cancer of intolerance in our educational system and with our children before it metastasizes into our broader society. Well, folks, that's our show for today, and I would encourage you all, if you haven't already, to head to my website, www.jimfeeney.com, and sign up to receive my newsletter and podcast. All you need is your email, and it's free. All subscribers who also give me their mailing address will get a signed copy of my book, Locally Grown, The Art of Sustainable Government. And they'll be eligible to appear in future podcasts and guests as a guest, and they will join the movement to unite our country on rock-solid middle ground. Remember, united we stand, divided we fall, each one for the other, and all for all. Isn't that-